Thank you for listening to our podcast today from Crossroads, South Arkansas. I'm teaching Pastor David Preston, Jr. I pray that the words you hear will bring you closer to God and encourage you as you go through your day and week. Thanks again for joining us. Father, we thank you so much for the day you've given us. God, we're practicing. We're practicing for what it's going to be like in heaven one day. But we know that you are good and God will be singing holy, holy, holy to you. Lord, there will be no other care, no other worry other than worshiping you. Lord, we... uh, We long for those days, but not so much that we we forget what we're supposed to do here, which is tell more people about you. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to face what comes today and what comes tomorrow? Would you help us to understand that in our weakness you are strong? truly Lord fight is that we allow you to to move in our lives Lord heal us Lord I pray today that if anyone does not know you that you would heal them you would forgive them of their sins and that today would be the day of salvation for somebody Lord may we all leave differently than we came you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Cliff, thank you for for uh, preparing us and leading us in worship this morning. It's good to be here. Good to be back. And I appreciate you guys understanding me being on last week because I did some some work with FCA with our brothers and sisters at the Cullendale Assembly of God. We had a great service there last Sunday and uh, uh, things went great and I appreciate you guys understanding that aspect of my other job and uh, allowing me to do that and I thank Cliff for filling in and uh, I called Hutch on or I texted him on Saturday night when all this was going on and I said you really need to be prepared just in case you have to preach tomorrow morning. And I'm not going to tell you what his text message said in reply. Praise um, Jesus is we're in church. <laughs> um, no, as you pew, it's something like my stomach's already sick. I feel like I'm going to vomit. Something like that. And I was like, just be prepared just in place. Cliff's gone through a lot. Who knows? Just be ready. Um, but I'm thankful that, that Cliff was able to do that uh, with a little bit of sleep and his nerves pretty much shot. So just thankful that everything went well. I said last or two weeks ago because we had a uh, brother Preston with us, Preston Condra, two weeks ago. I said I was wrapping up our fighting your battle series two weeks ago, and I tried, tried, tried really hard to wrap it up, and God just won't let me. I tried. I had another service prepared for today, continuing on, and we'll probably start that next week unless God changes my mind again. But I just through studying, through praying, through reading, I came across some stuff that. I just wanted to share. Now, how far did I try to quit this? And God kept telling me not to. Wednesday night at church in our prayer meeting, we watched a sermon from a guy I heard on podcast about fighting your battles. So I tried to cut it off two weeks ago. We continued it Wednesday, and now we're going to continue it today. So there's something here that God wants somebody to hear. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if it's for you. But for some reason, God won't let this stop. And so I want to share this with you today. We talked two weeks ago about how you fight your battles. And we talked about how following the Israelites' examples, how you don't fight your battles. You let God fight them for you. It's already been won. That victory's been won. Well, today I want to talk about what we have that's worth fighting for. And you're thinking, wait a minute, you just said don't fight your battles, so why do we have stuff that's worth fighting for? I promise you, even though we don't have to fight those battles, there's things that we have that are worth fighting for. There's things that are worth our effort and our attention. And the question is not should we fight, but how we fight. That's the question that we're going to deal with today and look at as we go through this. Um, again, I, I think this is just going to be something that, I don't know, maybe it just, it just touches you, it works with you. We'll see. Austin, it's not working, so I might have to have you. Well, hang on, did you do that or me? That was you. Thank you, sir. All right. Technology, you got to love it. All right. What do you believe in and what do you not believe in? What do you believe in and what do you not believe in? If you know you're going to fight for something, you have to believe in it. Mess with my kids. And we're going to fight. You parents, you feel that way. I don't mean... I don't know. It depends on what you do to them, whether or not I come swinging for you. I don't know. I can't say I wouldn't. I pray the Lord would protect me in that situation. Okay? I was in Australia one time with the Olympics. And what they did when I was there... Uh, just like we're going into to Japan, when I was in the Olympics, they sent me out and I did baseball camps in cities outside of Sydney. And we went to this camp one time. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the city, but we had this guy, we had this camp there, and there was about 20 or 30 kids there. And they were, Australia had known about baseball. They had played baseball, but they were cricket people. So they were learning baseball and they loved it. It was just enough different from cricket that they were eating it up. And so we had a great two or three day camp out there um, in Australia teaching them the game of baseball. And at the end of each day, it was on our flyers. It was everything that we would teach them baseball and then tell them about Jesus at the end of every camp. And so at the end of every day, we would have a little devotional where we told them about Jesus. The thing about Australia was at that time, there were churches there, but they weren't predominant. Australia culturally had been a society that did not deal a lot with church. Um, so it wasn't very popular there at that time. One day after we got through with that devotion, I had a man come up to me. And at this time, I was 20 or so, 20, 21, somewhere in that area, I think. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I was there um, in my tw early 20s to mid 20s and I had a man come up to me after the devotion and he walks up to me and I see him coming but I don't think anything about it and he keeps coming and he keeps coming and he keeps coming until his nose is right next to my nose and I'm like nice to meet you sir you know I, we were we were up close and personal and he began to yell at me because we were preaching this phony Jesus to his son and we're supposed to be teaching him baseball not this religion stuff and he begins to yell and get louder and louder and I'm standing there wondering what's fixing to happen and I look and he starts to bring up his fist like he's going to punch me and he even says I ought to punch you in the nose right now 
And I pray at that moment, God, if He does, let Him not be smooth out. Because if He doesn't, I'm probably going to swing back. And that's not going to look good to us over here on a Christian religious trip. And I talked to Him, and after about, I don't know, five or ten minutes of talking, He finally calmed down. I showed Him the flyer where it said, this is what we were going to do every day. If you didn't read it, that's your fault, not mine. And we finally talked. We didn't come to an agreement, but we at least understood each other. And it didn't come to a fight, but I was prepared to do whatever it took for what I believed in. And if that meant getting my rear end kicked and not doing anything about it, that's what I was going to do. Hopefully. Prayerfully. Okay? I've not been one that's been in a lot of fights growing up. I used to pick on Hutch and Cliff until they realized they could both tag team me and they got big enough for Hutch to hold me down and Cliff to hit me. Then I quit. I didn't need any help. <laughs> so he says. <laughs> but you have to believe in what you fight for. I used to get in trouble on the basketball court all the time when I was coaching because if something happened to one of my players, I fought for him. To a fault. On the football field, to a fault. I would yell. I'd scream. I'd get mad. They'd tell me they think I was going to have a heart attack because my face would turn purple. But those were my kids and I believed in them and they were worth fighting for. What's worth fighting for in your life? What's worth fighting for? Here's the thing that blows my mind and this is the point I'm getting to. I don't believe in vampires. Y'all are thinking, boy, he switched gears there, didn't he? <laughs> don't believe in vampires. I don't believe in ghosts. I think they're spirits, but I think there's a whole different spiritual realm there. But I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in Bigfoot. Don't believe in Loch Ness Monster. Don't believe in any of that stuff. And if you go look on my social media accounts, you won't find anything on there me trying to convince you that that stuff's not real. Why is that? Because I don't believe in it. I don't believe it's real. I don't have to convince you. If you want to believe that, that's your business. You can go ahead and be crazy. I won't talk about you to your face, just behind your back. Okay? I don't believe. Quit pointing fingers over there. I don't believe in that stuff. But if you do, that's okay. But I'm not going to try to convince you it's not because I don't believe in it. I don't need to convince you. But here's what I want to know. Why do people who not believe in God work so hard to prove He's not real? Because if you don't believe in Him, what does it matter? If you don't believe in God, why do atheists, why do agnostics, why do people worship the church of Satan all in an effort to prove that God's not real? i got to knock, knock. Who's there? Reality. If it wasn't for God, there wouldn't be a Satan. So if you believe in Satan, you believe in God. I don't care which history book you look at. It's not one without the other. And the other was there first. So don't try to convince me that God's not real saying you don't believe it when in reality you have to believe it. And if you didn't know deep down it wasn't true, you wouldn't preach so hard against it. I don't preach against Bigfoot because I know it's not true. I don't preach against vampires because I know it's not true. You preach, you teach, you talk about the things that you want to defeat because you know they're real in your life. 
that make sense? So what's worth fighting for? Here's the thing. I'm just going to go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope, go back. I didn't realize you had already swapped it. My bad. I hadn't looked. Here's the thing we have to understand. The voices in our culture that are the loudest right now are those of non-believers. The voices we hear the most are non-believers. And if we as Christians are not willing to stand up and be vocal or just as vocal as what non-Christians are, then we've lost our voice in a world that can't afford for us to be silent. You want to know what happens when the Christian voice is silenced? Look at our country right now. Look at us fighting abortion. Look at us fighting battles that we shouldn't be fighting battles for. We're fighting for special rights instead of just normal rights. We're fighting for things that go against what the Word of God says because us as Christians have stood back long enough and instead of putting the boxing gloves on and going and fighting for God, we've leaned on the ropes and hopefully somebody would stop fighting before we, got, before we needed to do something about it. We've stood back and been silent for too long. Does that mean everybody has? No, not everybody has. Some people have fought that fight and have continued to fight that fight. But we as a church, the church, not crossroads, but the Christian church have stood back quiet too long to not fight for what we believe in. And as a result, our voices have gotten smaller. The dissension voices have gotten louder. And all of a sudden, the louder we scream, the more we get overwhelmed. If we sit back and say nothing, then we're silent. And our country cannot afford us to be silent anymore. We can't afford it. So we have to know what's worth fighting for. Go ahead, please, Austin. What's worth fighting for? The only thing that's worth fighting for is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you fill your life and you live your life fighting for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, then you will be successful. You'll be reaching others. You'll be serving others. And you'll be making a difference in our country that needs to be made today. You have to know what's willing to be fought for, and that's the Gospel. The next thing that, uh, that we want to talk about here, the first thing, how do you break down the Gospel? There's three things we're going to look at real quick in three verses they have to be your, your center point. They have to be your focus when you're fighting for the Gospel. The first one is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. There's no other way. There's no other way. John 14.6 tells us, Jesus told Him, I am the way, the way, not one of, not a way, I am the way. That word in all Bibles, if I was an editor, would be all capitalized. My mom, when she sends you text messages, she knows the words that she wants you to get because they're always capitalized. She puts her emphasis on the right syllable every time. That word in the Bible needs to be emphasized. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. That is point. That is blank. That is period. It's not debatable. It's not negotiable. I get so frustrated watching people, high-profile people in our society that people look up to. People like Oprah Winfrey. I've heard her say this. Other leaders have said things. I pray I've done enough good things and I think I've done enough that I should make it to heaven. That's not how it works. The best person in the world, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, will not make it. 
Jesus is the only way to heaven. And you have to have that personal relationship with Him. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good of a life you live. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you haven't done. You could be as close to perfect as you could be. And if you don't know Him and you have not accepted Him as your Savior, you will go to hell. It's that simple. That's got to be a cornerstone of your faith and what's worth fighting for. The second thing that has to be a cornerstone is we are saved by the grace of God and nothing else. This kind of goes hand in hand with the last one because it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. It's the grace. It's that forgiveness of God in spite of what we do that allows us to be saved. We can't do enough. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says God saved you by His grace when you believed and you can't take credit for that. It's a gift from God. When you believe God saved you, you can't take credit. It's His gift. Point blank, period. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't work enough. You can't pray enough. You can't serve enough to earn heaven because we can't do anything that would be worth earning it. We have to accept that gift. I'm going to read you. Uh, it's not on the screen, so we don't have to change it, but I'm going to read you. That's verse 8. I'm going to read you 9 and 10 also. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Salvation is not a reward for what we've done. If not, we'd be bragging about it and we'd be putting the focus on ourselves instead of Jesus and the gift that He gave us. So it's not because of what we've done. The Bible clearly says that. Works aren't good enough. It's only because of the gift. Verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. Let me pause right there. We are God's masterpiece. You think something's wrong with you? Go read that verse. Because God made you exactly how He wanted you to be. You are His masterpiece. Not His project. Not His hope. Not His dream. You are His perfection. What's, what's a masterpiece in our society? Something that is valued more than anything else. You hear that? Something that is valued more than anything else is a masterpiece. And you are God's masterpiece. So don't ever come tell me I'm not good enough or something in me is wrong. You're God's masterpiece. And if you allow Him to work in your life, He will see you to the plans that He has for you. How do I know there's plans? Let me keep on. Verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. We're new. He's created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Before there was an earth, before there was a solar system, before there was anything but heaven and God and Jesus and the angels in eternity, he knew that on August 18, 2019, I was going to be standing right here speaking to you. Holy Moses. He knew that on this day, you'd be sitting right there. He planned that for you. 
He planned that for you. He knew you'd be here. Some of y'all, he might have known y'all thought about staying home. But he planned for you to be here so you can. He knows what's going to happen in your life in 10 days. He knows what's going to happen in your life in 10 years. He knows where you're going to be in 30 years. I don't care how old you are. He knows where you're going to be because you're either going to be here or with Him. Hopefully. That's our goal. The Bible clearly tells us we are His work. We're His masterpiece. He values us more than anything else. And He did that. He made us new so that we can do the things that He planned for us long ago. How great of a God is that? Why would anybody want to run from that? Why would we not want to fight for that? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth going the distance for? Doing all you can. The last fundamental here that we're going to talk about real quick is that the Gospel is meant to be shared. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We're only saved through His grace. And that Gospel is meant to be shared. We've sat on the sidelines too long. We've sat on the ropes in a boxing ring too long. Romans 1.8 it says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. I am not ashamed. Too many times we go through life worrying about what somebody else is going to think about us because we are Christian. Oh, well, you're going to judge me. You're going to look down on me because what I do was where we ought to be saying, no, I'm going to love you because that's what Jesus would have done if He was right here where I am. I'm going to love you. I'm going to try to help you. I want to be an influence in your life that brings you closer to God. And by doing that means I'm going to live right and I'm going to be that example, but I want you to see my example. Do y'all realize most of the time the crowds that you're in with, you start doing what everybody does? You start talking like everybody talks? You start saying the things that everybody says? Well, what would happen if you went and became that influence around your co-workers, around your family, around your friends that were doing the right thing and people started following you instead of you following them. You see what I'm saying now when I say we've stood back on the sidelines way too long? We've been, well, it's not going to hurt to go and just join in with that group. Because why? We want to be accepted. We want to understand and we want to feel like they care about what we're saying. They care about what we're doing. We want to feel like we fit in. So we sacrifice our Christianity to fit in with somebody else when in reality we ought to be fighting for them with our Christianity to get them to fit in with Jesus. Not with us, but with Jesus. Because that's what it's about. That's what it's about. As Christians, we can't be followers. We have to be the leaders. We have to see that wall that's separating us from our Christian walk and be willing to go head first into it. Because as the sermon said, 
uh, Wednesday night that we listened to, you might not have to fight that battle in your life, but you definitely have to face it. Because if you run from that battle, it's never going away. It's always going to be there every time you turn around. So God's got that plan. He's going to fight that battle for you, but you have to face that battle. You have to stand up to that battle. You have to be there and see it and let it know that you're there and you're ready to go, but you're not going to have to do a thing because God's going to knock it down for you. How does that all work? That's the plan of God. That's His grace that we've talked about. When we, as Christians, begin sharing the Gospel of Christ instead of leaning on those ropes and waiting on our turn, the world will not be able to stop us and our country will see revival again. What's holding up our country from seeing revival? We can make excuses. It's not the other groups. It's not who's holding us back. We're holding ourselves back. It's time for us to get off the ropes. It's time for us to take a charge. It's time for us to take a stand and not wait and hope that this all passes by. It's time for us to stand up for what we believe in and be strong, be courageous, and know that the battle has been fought, has been won already for us. We have to be ready to fight those battles. We've got to be ready. It's up to us. If we want revival in this country, we have to get off the sidelines and get into the game. We can't be satisfied with who's sitting beside us. Our satisfaction comes when we're having to find places for people to come and hear about Jesus. We can't be satisfied if our friends aren't coming to church. If we're not trying to get somebody who we know is unchurched, and I'm not, not talking about people that go to other churches. We're not trying to steal members. But we all know plenty of people who don't go to church every Sunday. And if we're not doing everything we can to get them to come with us or to go someplace, we're failing them as Christians. We are. Because we're not fighting what's worth fighting for. One of the times Cliff preached, he told me he asked you to think about that one person that you know that's not saved and pray for them. I want to challenge you right now. How many of you have thought of that one person? How many of you have invited them to church? If you have your one and you've prayed for them, that's good. But what do we just expect God to lift them up one day and poof, they're in the church? He could do it if He wanted to. But there's part of that battle that He expects us to help with. Invite them. Bring them. Drag them as long as it's legal. But if you have that one person that you know has never accepted Christ, we ought to be doing everything we can to get them here every Sunday. And we ought to be a witness to them every other time we're around. We ought to be. We have to prepare for the fight. Why do we have to prepare for the fight? Because the enemy is experienced. Remember that eternity where it was just heaven and God and Jesus and the angels and nothing else was around and all of a sudden Lucifer got sent to hell. And the angels that followed him followed. He's been around just as long. He knows the tricks of the trade. 
He knows what to do to attack you. He knows what to do to hit you where it matters the most. To get your focus off of God and get your focus on your problems. He knows the enemy, Satan, will attack you with lies and deceit. It's that simple. You start to believe a lie from Satan and you start to focus on that lie rather than the actual resolution to your problem. And that's Jesus. He's experienced. He knows where to attack. He knows where to go. And He knows where to fight. So we have to prepare for the fight. How do you prepare for the fight? Number one, prayer. Number one, prayer. You have to be in communication with God. Number two, you need to read His Word. Because I promise you, every day you read God's Bible, you find something you didn't know before. And it's constant. It's changing. It grows. It's alive. The Bible is alive. And it shows you things you never knew before every day you read it. I wasn't planning on this sermon today, but through reading, through prayer, through studying, I was shown things that I felt we needed to finish because we weren't done yet. I could have done my thing and went and started a new series. But that would have been my thing, not God's thing. In our lives, there's too many times that we do my things instead of God's things. Because we listen to the lies that the devil has put into our hearts and into our minds instead of just focusing on Jesus and staying on the truth. You know how you can tell if Satan's lying to you? It creates confusion and it creates fear. Because confusion and fear will never come from God. If you're dealing with the situation and you get confused and you get fearful, you need to stop, hit pause, hit the brakes, whatever you have to do to get slowed down and say, I've got to refocus right here. God, where am I at? Because I'm confused and I'm scared and I know that's not from You. So let me find my anchor. Let me find my truth. Confusion and fear will never come from God. You know, what's the question is, is, is what is worth fighting for? And if you think about your life, I know I can think about mine. Um, my brothers, y'all know we have a special bond that I don't know many brothers that have that close bond with. I really don't. And I'm not saying that just because it's me. We have a special bond. But when we get mad at each other, boy, it's it's a hundred. I mean, it's full on. <coughs> we don't like each other at all. And we can fight with the best of them. But at the end of the day, we know that we love each other. And it might take a day or two sometimes if it's a good one. But everything smooths itself back out. We talk about it. We move on with our life. Because if we don't have each other, what do we have? Whatever you have in your life, you can fight it all you want to. But until you smooth that relationship over with God and find exactly what He wants in your life, it's never going to get better. It's going to continue to be that issue. And when it all comes down to it, all you have is you and God. That's all you have. You and God. But I can live a great life 
with me and God. Because if I have God, everything else I need is going to be included in me. My wife, my kids, my church, my family, my friends. So what do you fight over in life? What are the things that you're fighting? You might fight with your spouse. You might fight with your family. You might fight with your boss. You might fight over finances. You might fight over friends. You might fight over enemies. You might fight over the situation you're in. Well, I'm telling you, everything I listed, you're not fighting that person. If you're in an argument with a co-worker, it's not that person you're arguing with. You're arguing with Satan. If you're in an argument with your spouse, it's not your spouse you're fighting against. You're arguing because a lie has been planted in there. Or deceit has been planted in there. Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10-12. through 12. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. The Bible says right there, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Which means if you get in fight with a human over something that you have a disagreement on, you're not fighting that person. You're fighting against the lie that has been placed in your life. The deceit that has been placed in your life. If you get in a fight with your boss, you might not like what it is, and you might be right, but you know what? The Bible also says respect authority. That one kind of hurts, doesn't it? So, then, I just confused y'all, didn't I? Because I kind of confused myself. You might get in a fight with that boss. And you might be right, but the Bible says respect authority. That's confusion, isn't it? So, where do you come down to? You hit the brakes. And you say, okay, God, I know I'm right, but this is my boss. What do I do? And you find where you have to make that correction. It might be that God says, even though you're right, He's the boss, you do what He says or what she says. Oh, and you're not going to like it, but you better do it. And it might be that God says, hey, that's your boss and He's leading you down a wrong path. You need to find a different job. And it might be that God tells you your boss doesn't know me and you're the way He gets to know me. Keep fighting and keep grinding. You never know, but you won't know until you get in focus with God and get the confusion out of there. Why are divorce rates so high in our country right now? Divorce rates are higher right now in the church than they are out of the church. Do y'all realize that? Divorce rates of churched people are actually higher than unchurched people. How is that? We should be the ones that should be the example. And I say we, because I'm guilty. I'm there. I'm divorced. I'm one of them. I'm that statistic. It's not an easy thing to go through. It's not. But if anywhere, the church should be a healing ground for marriages, not for something that... If we're consistent in church and we're doing what God wants us to do, there's no way He's going to allow that union to break. 
Now, does that mean that it won't happen? No, that doesn't mean it won't happen. That means that sometimes, does that mean that there's sometimes where things go beyond, I promise you, if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't be divorced today. But if I wasn't divorced today, I wouldn't have my beautiful wife that's back there working for those kids. And I wouldn't have them two little rambunctious twins that drive me up a wall that I love with all my heart. So even out of defeat came a victory. But if you're struggling with anything, not just marriage, finances. Why do most marriages get in fights? Because of money. Why? Because the woman says we don't have any. And the man says, well, we used to. That's a joke. Don't throw stuff at me. But you know what finances are? I can't say it's a lie because sometimes they're real. But it's a wedge that, this, that Satan can throw into your marriage to cause trouble. It's a wedge. You know your financial situation. Before you get married, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's a wedge that Satan uses for him, not for God. The situation you're in in life, anything that you're going through, those are battles that you're fighting. Those are battles that you're fighting, but you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against the evil spirits in heavenly places. You're not fighting what's on this earth. You're fighting what Satan is throwing in your face. And the only way to block it is to be carrying that shield of God. The only way to keep it from happening is to have His protection and His armor. If you go on and read those verses in that chapter, it tells you put on the full armor of God. Because the battle's been won, but you have to stand up to it. You have to see it. Put on that full armor of God. So, what in life? We just talked about things that you're fighting that aren't really worth fighting for because they're deceits from the devil. But what is worth fighting for in your life? What is worth fighting in your life? Um, your spouse. Your marriage. Your family. Your boss. Your friends. Your finances, your enemies, your current situation. Does that list sound familiar? I just told you it's not worth fighting for, but it is worth fighting for at the same time as long as you're fighting with God and not with what the devil's throwing at Every one of those things can break you down, but if you use God as your guide, He will lift you above whatever problem Satan is giving you in your life. He will lift you out. You are His masterpiece. You are perfectly made. He didn't do that just to throw you in the corner and not be seen. He didn't do that to put you in a box and tape you closed and say, that's my masterpiece, but they're a wreck. I can't let anybody see them. He did that. He created you as a masterpiece so you could go out and you could show other people that, yeah, I might not have it together 100% of the time, but my God does, and He cares for me, and He loves me, and all I have to do is give myself to Him and focus on Him, and everything I've been fighting in my life is going to work out 
according to his plan he made for me long ago. The Bible says so. And I've looked for a lot of suggestions in the Bible. I've not found any yet. I found a ton of promises, though. I have found a ton of promises. And that promise says that if you fight with God, He's got a plan for you. And His plan is to not to let you fail. To not to let you roll in the mud. It's to lift you up. To let you be more than you ever thought you could be in your life. You are God's masterpiece. The victory in your life has already been won. If you're one of His, if you've accepted Him as your Savior, the victory in your life is already won. It's already there. So what's worth fighting for? Every other soul on this planet is worth fighting for. And if we sit back on the sidelines any longer, we're letting too many souls go to eternity without knowing the truth about Jesus. They know the lies that the world are telling. If we wait any longer, too many people are going to end up in hell when all they had to do was listen and believe and they'd end up in hell. We can't sit on the sidelines anymore. We have to get in the game. We have to know that the battle's been won. But wouldn't it be nice to look life dead in the eye and say, I'm fixing to intimidate you. You're not intimidating me anymore. I'm fixing to bring the battle to you, life. You're not bringing the battle to me anymore. I'm not going to look at my financial situation and be scared anymore. I'm going to look at my financial situation and say, what am I going to do? And what the direction does God have me go to fix this situation? I'm not going to look at my marriage anymore and say, I don't know what to do. I know where to go. It's not what you know what to do. It's that you know where to go. And it doesn't matter what problem you're dealing with. The solution is there. The plan has been made for you a long time ago. Follow God and follow Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you'd like to join this church, we'd love to have you as a member. We would love for you to come be a part of our family. If you have a situation that you need to let go of, you need to just tell God, you know what? I've been listening to this lie for far too long. I need to hit the brakes and focus more on you to find the solution that you have for me in that plan. Come to the altar and pray. Come to Pray about it. We can pray with you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave here without it. You know what? We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask every person in this auditorium to say it with me. If you've already said this prayer before, it doesn't mean you're getting re-saved. 
It doesn't mean that you're doing something to affect your previous salvation. If you were saved, you're already saved. But by saying this prayer out loud, I'm praying that it encourages those who might not have said it yet to say it with you. And as a Christian, we're standing in unison with our brothers and sisters in need Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to say this prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to say this out loud. If you're saved, say it in a prayer that those who may not be feel the call of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You, Lord. I thank You so much for dying on the cross just for me. I confess I'm a sinner. I know I need You. I ask You to come into my heart to save my soul so I can spend eternity with You. Thank You for giving Your life so I can have eternity. I love You, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you just said that prayer for the first time and truly meant it in your heart, I would like to ask you to come forward here in just a second with us start singing. Because if you did, you just made the best commitment you've ever made in your life. You've been fighting life alone, and now you have Jesus with you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast from Crossroads, South Arkansas. If you're in our area, we would love to have you join us in person for a service. Crossroads, South Arkansas, reaching, inviting, serving, and expecting.